All right. Welcome to another episode of Middle School Music, where old school meets new school. Uh, I'm your host, Farhan Lalji. You might have missed me. I wasn't on the last episode, uh, but that's all good. I'm back now. And with me, as always, uh, is Dario Duet. Dario, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to have you back. Thank you, sir. Thank it's you, sir. Been it's been hiding. It's been a while. It has. It has. Uh, well, I think partially because this year's been so topsy-turvy, yeah. uh, waiting to hear back uh, what, what's kind of been happening with the industry. Um, you know, but I, I guess we're back and 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 we're what an episode? It's episode six now, season three. Indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, you've got you've got a better hold of the notes than I do. And so, B side, I know you've been super excited, but that yeah, looks there. That's true. I've been back channeling you about that for a while. So fa- apparently, so so for those of you who don't know what B side is, that Eminem released kind of the the B-sides of his Music To Be Murdered By album. I guess he kind of started the year off well and closed the year off well. Because Music To Be Murdered By was released originally as a surprise release in January. Oh my God, uh, is it January? So it's January. Yeah, oh, yeah wow. exactly. Um, so the original talk was that um, a single was going to drop the day of or after election day. Um, and I think it kind of makes sense because that Nat single, GNAT, which he released a video for, uh, is all about coronavirus, has like a lot of kind of inferences regarding the US elections, etc. But it was all pushed back. And then because I'm part of these forums, I'm sure well, you're very much aware. Um, uh, there was more and more information that was being leaked surrounding Cole Bennett, who was the previous director for Godzilla that had traveled to, to Detroit recently to film a video. You had uh, all of Dr. Dre's production crew and other producers, which Eminem traditionally worked with, um, all kind of posting hints to do with Alfred Hitchcock. Um, on their Instagram. So it was subliminal marketing. Um, yeah. I went like, I woke up this morning at 4.30 because everyone said that the album gets released at 12 p.m. EST on the dot. Right. Like, Adis Kamikaze was 12.10. And true to be told, as it hit that time, 16 tracks popped up on my Spotify. Very um, nice. Have you listened to it? I have not. I've, I've listened to a couple tracks. So I listened to the one with Skylar Gray this yeah. morning and I listened to the one with Dre um, yeah, yeah, as with well. Sly Piper. Um, yeah. It's. I haven't listened to the whole album complete. I think what I like about it though, right now, is that he's always traditionally tried to follow. Like I don't know, at least with recovery coming out of relapse, everything was always focused around like pop, pop culture retention. This was like, you know what? Actually, the world's been in such a weird place. I'm just going to put an album together based on music that I like. And if you don't like it, then whatever. But then again, he's two years away from 50. So maybe, you know, he's... I mean, that's the thing, right? I was just thinking about that as well. Like artists, especially this year, right? Just putting out music that they love, right? Because the risks and and who knows when they're going to get to tour again. So you're not kind of putting out an album with the intention to tour behind that album anymore, right? So maybe, especially for artists who have a back catalog, and we've talked about this in the past, around you kind of do a new release and then you see kind of past streams also seeing an uplift yep. as well, right? And I wonder if, you know, that frequency, and, and I think this whole year has been this one about like, you know, artists having that kind of pressure to keep releasing stuff yep. and not waiting. Cause we, I think we did an episode at some point this year, right? with. Uh, the, the founder of Spotify when he had made those comments. Um, yeah, that was like kind of, beginning of October. Yeah, beginning of October when he was saying like, you can't wait for years before you release a new album. And that's crazy to see that we've gotten a, an art, almost a full album or actually we did get a full album from M at the beginning of the year. And now, you know, B-side at the end of the year. Taylor, Taylor, Swift, Taylor, Taylor Swift as Taylor, well. Yeah. 
you know, I think it's becoming more and more common. I agree. I mean, I haven't heard the album so uh, fully, so I don't know. It's like I can't give a structure in terms of cohesiveness, but it reminds me of relapse in the sense of, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm working with Dr. Dre and like, if they don't like it, then whatever. But like, this is hip hop and this is kind of the music that I like to make, which is important because Revival was released three years ago to the day uh, on Thursday. And that I think was necessary in order for him to form into this almost like second wind of his career. Because yeah. Kamikaze, from Kamikaze, we've, you know, music to be motivated is pretty damn good. And, and I think he's been putting out some pretty good material overall. But it's also, I mean, it changed, right? From, you know, kind of going and having to be a pop artist, yeah. right? With massive, you know, like everybody buying your records to actually, I have my stands, I have my fans, you know, <laughs> as long as they kind of listen, you're going to start a rap career. Indeed, man. My stands and my fans <laughs> and my also rans. <laughs> talk about Dr. Dre, actually. Uh, this talk that, well, actually, exciting, exciting start to 2021. Anyway, well, maybe we should talk about that a bit later, actually. Maybe just pulling things back a bit. Spotify released its wraps 2020. Yep. You and I love those stats uh, because there's always so much to talk about uh tell me a bit more about your listening preferences i want to know more about what's been happening in the music world of art. well you know it's interesting because like just touching on that no right of you know pop music to to kind of like the niche kind of side of things i mean this was a year where i spent a lot of time listening to pop music right yeah. it's kind of amplified or followed on that trend and i don't know if it's because you know kids getting a little bit older you know, their influence on me as from a genre's perspective as well. Um, so I found that, you know, my year was really kind of split into a lot of pop music and a lot of podcasts. Really? Right? It wasn't, a, I mean, I did listen to some 80s stuff as well. Like, so when I look at my, my Spotify wrapped kind of side of things, right, my top artists are all really relevant, really recent kind of poppy artists. Mm. And I mean, you know, kind of the, the amount of music I listen to is still pretty high. And especially when you compare and contrast that with the amount of podcasts that I consumed. Yeah, well, you're, a big, you're a big podcast listener. I am a big podcast listener. And I mean, my minutes were still like over the, the 60,000 minutes listen mark. And I know yours were, were well over that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I was at about 69,007. That's kind of weird. Um but I mean, I was going on Twitter and seeing what other people were posting. Some people were doing like 250,000 minutes. I mean, really? I don't know how that's possible. Like, because 69,000 minutes roughly is about 12.7% of a year. Okay. I think, yeah, yeah, that's how that worked out. Either if you're waking year or not. Anyway, whatever. Like, it's still a, it's still a, a good, a good, like a good kind of chunk. So you always. I'm, I'm guessing if I compare like my top five artists to your top five artists, you're going to have a lot more kind of niche kind of ones that so shall we shall we kind of start there let's compare and, and contrast i think there'll be one in there that might be a, ne a new name for some people but for me i mean my four, the top four were khalid uh justin bieber dua lipa and the weekend and then rounding out my top five was pink sweats Who's so pink, sorry Who's pink i love pink sweats so pink sweats is kind of like um, a more funkier, happier version of Khalid. Uh -huh. so, so he is, he check makes, yeah, you check him out. I mean, for people who do like Khalid, I think Pink Sweats is, he's a lot of fun. Um, he's way more fun kind of music, but he's cool. And and I kind of enjoyed him. That's uh, cool. This year. 
I what about you? Who was in your top five? <laughs> well, uh, who do you think my number one was? I actually surprised myself. I didn't think this would be the case at all, personally. Was it, was it Eminem? It was Eminem, surprisingly. Uh, I'm in the top 0,01% of his fan base, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Um, it's kind of weird, though, because I, I don't personally actually remember listening to much of his music, maybe besides <laughs> Godzilla. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. Uh, number, number two, for contrast, was Machine Gun Kelly, which... Uh, is pretty interesting. Maybe, yeah, well, let me first go through it. Three was Russ. Yeah. Um, four was Halsey. And five was Justin Bieber. Um, I think what was interesting about the one and two was Machine Gun Kelly uh, released Tickets to My Downfall and is kind of moving to the pop punk space. Him and Youngblood and Halsey and Travis, I've been working a lot with Travis Barker. And um, Tickets to My Downfall became what was the number one album on the Billboard 200. Um, and they beat one of the leading K-pop bands, which had done a distribution deal with Marvel. Um, now, what's interesting is in a recent interview- Which, which K-pop band was that? Do you know? Uh, um, I don't know. I can it, wasn't, it wasn't BTS and it definitely wasn't Blackpink or anything. Um, let me double check. I'm in front of my computer. Uh, uh, Super M. Okay. Um, I haven't heard of them. No, no. Um, so- They do uh, sound like they could be a Marvel K-pop band though. Yeah, they did like some weird like associate. I mean, some of the hip hop guys used to do that. Actually, remember Eminem did a Punisher cover, and there were a couple of things. Oh yeah, um, actually, some of the Wu Tang were kind of big into the. Yeah, Marvel side. Marvel actually, Method Man has a podcast now talking about Marvel comics. Oh really? That's how full circle things have gone. Yeah, it's crazy, man. The integration. So, so on that note, um, MGK came out in a recent interview saying that since the Eminem feud, um, it it ruined his career. Now, I don't personally, I don't know if this was intentional or not, because I know he's Diddy's artist and I think both of them probably use it as marketing. But anyway, he said that like Hotel Diablo was a complete flop, which is true. Binge, which is an EP released afterwards, was a flop. And that was it. So he went to his label and said, I want to put together this pop punk album because no one listens to that stuff anymore. And it's, it, in my opinion, it's a brilliant album. Um, I like that type of music. It's Blink 182 esque. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so those are my top five. Um, okay. Did you have your your Spotify unwrapped kind of with you? I mean, do you, do you know how many artists, for example, because that was one of the other things that it did that I thought was quite cool, where it talks about like how many artists you listened to this year. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, what do I, let's call So for me, I got some of the interesting things that I saw was I listened to nearly 2,000 new artists. What? Yeah. So 1,969 no artists this year. I did 500 and I thought I was special. Flip, 2,000. Two, nearly 2,000. 1,969 artists this year. Wow. wow. What, was your top, what was your top stream track? Oh boy. Here we go. So now I'm going to have to admit that my top stream track this year was Intentions. Oh, really? By Bieber. Bieber and Quavo. And if you haven't checked out the video, I do recommend it. It's a bit of a tearjerker. Uh, on that front in terms of using the video to to highlight uh, a really interesting cause uh, on that front. And so I'm, I'm proud, you know, Canadians represented with Bieber in, in that, you know, kind of artist on both of ours, because I think he yeah. showed up on yours and mine. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you and I spoke about this privately, like Canada has a, the top five of the world's biggest art, top world's top 10 biggest artists right now, all Canadian. I mean, you got it. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing that kind of gets overlooked, right? Canada's had a history of producing really, um, kind of popular artists. Like when you look back at like Brian Adams and even Celine Dion, um, you know, yeah. kind of, it, it's it's not a new thing for Canada to have yeah. big pop artists. It's just a different genre, right? Like now you've got Drake and you've got Justin Bieber and stuff, but 
historically Canada's, I mean, even Michael Bublé, right? Like you represent from a Canadian perspective, from a massive pop um, kind of artist in the world. And it's one of these things around kind of seeing your market as kind of a smaller market and wanting to yeah. be part of the bigger world. So a lot of artists, oh, Alanis Morissette, another Canadian who yeah. kind of rocked the pop charts for some how, how many streams did you, how many streams, sorry, how many times did you play Intentions? Oh boy, here we go. How many times did I play Intentions? Let's see. Uh, I don't know, but I think it was, oh, where was that? I can't remember, but it, it was played a lot. Let's okay. check it. Yeah. It, it's so, what about you? What was your top song this year? Well, I mean, my roommate was like, dude, do you ever not play that song? It was actually Machine Gun Kelly, Bloody Valentine, which was 248 streams. And the song was only released at the beginning of June. So if Rapped was only kind of, what mid-november that's like five and a half what june july it's like six almost almost close to six months uh that's not that's not too bad that's almost like that's more than a stream a day wow yeah it's pretty funny um i i, I love these stats by the way and i think I know, everyone gets excited for it like twitter's blowing up like spotify raft what does it have to say um well, i mean i think it's it's a great um you know kind of use or a great kind of way to use data from yeah. a media perspective. Yeah. When you've got all the data, why not um, kind of use it, right? So I think they've done a, a really good job of, uh, of promoting their own product, kind of leveraging this, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, actually my top, yeah, my top three tracks were all MGK tracks and then it was Eminem and then Russ. And that's what I find is odd. So how was one able to listen to more Eminem? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. That's just the data. Um, but uh, I mean, an interesting year, right? Like alongside kind of, you know, whether it's from Bieber to MGK and controversies and things like that. I mean, we'd be remiss not kind of looking at it through a lens of COVID, right? And you know, does COVID increase your listening or does it decrease your listening? One thing it definitely decreased massively was live kind of game. yeah yeah for sure uh, this will be the first year i think i haven't been to a live concert in years good point, good point. have not been to any live concerts um this year a lot of a lot of market movements and we've spoken about this um it was vinay and i spoke to sherry about this mm. um i think so somebody said this and i found it interesting people thought that um that movie cinemas would ruin live theater. Hmm. Television would ruin movie cinemas. That's not been the case. They've been complementary. And I think maybe as we do eventually move into the live music scene again, one day in February, um, will it be the same as it was? I don't know. But will there also be an opportunity to provide commercial production value to concerts and providing access to viewers in other parts of the world or even in the same place that maybe you don't want to spend 100 pounds 150 pounds on a ticket yeah. uh, in the same way that we used to buy live show dvds back in the early 2000s i mean one thing that COVID's definitely done is accelerated the virtual experience moment right so like yes there were artists like marshmallow and others who were dabbling you know with the roblox versus kind of the fort fortnite kind of embedded experience but i think this year was the one i mean even the likes of Miley Cyrus and Amazon kind of partnering up and getting involved in kind of doing live concerts streamed um, online, you know, the Foo Fighters and others uh, also kind of did different experiences for their fans in this way. And I think what it's shown people is the art of what's possible.
Mm-hmm. Right. So the fact that, you know, especially as artists are near needing to kind of record new music later on in their careers, do you really want to, you know, spend time away from your family? Do you want to kind of be touring the same way that you did as a 25 year old, you know, is much harder as if than if, when you're a 55 year old. Yeah. So for the likes of Dave Grohl and others, right. I think these have kind of opened up new channels to kind of keep connected with your fan base and not necessarily having to tour. Cause we're seeing, I mean, the Sean Mendes documentary, uh, we talked about it offline oh, as well. About right? And he talks a lot about kind of the, the trauma or the, you know, the impact of touring for so long has on your mental health as an artist, right? So does this mean we'll get less tours? Does this mean we'll get more intimate tours? Does this mean we'll get smaller tours and artists will augment it with virtual experiences or live experiences online? You know, I think that's a a real kind of expectation for the future. I agree. And I think what's also an important point to raise, you mentioned the Foo Fighters. Hmm. The unit economics for a band didn't make sense in today's music environment or the pre-COVID music environment. If you're going to take all those costs involved and all the middlemen and players and then combine that with a tour, at the end of the day, how much are you really making as, as an individual who's part of that band? I don't know. But if you're able to perform live shows like the Foo Fighters did on NoCap and like some of the other old artists have on, on NoCap and, and other platforms, right, you are removing all those costs. A lot of the time, it's not necessarily those, even that revenue isn't covered necessarily by your, by your record label's contract. So essentially, you're making more money and yeah. you're able to produce more content, and you're creating better fan engagement. Well, one of the things that people don't understand, and this is a business kind of point in general, right? Your top line number is not your bottom line kind of capital in your oh. pocket, right? Yeah. Because there are so many things that you pay for. Like when you're putting on a tour, you know, forget about the live experience, all the people in the theaters, all the people in the stadiums that you have to pay for to make sure a show goes off. And then you have all of the people who've invested their time and energy in setting things up from your lighting to the backstage and all of that kind of stuff as well. Then you've got the actual cost of touring as well on top of that, right? So by the end of it, when an artist does go on a huge tour, yes, they make a considerable amount of capital, but they're also outlaying a considerable amount of cash as well, right? To all the different parties that are involved. And if you can see some of this platformization of being able to do virtual or online recordings, then you know the EBITDA or the profitability of that kind of experience becomes way better for an artist or for a band in both cases. Yeah, I agree. And it's actually funny you mentioned that. So um, I don't know if you are aware, but kind of Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, E-40, and Too Short have formed a rap supergroup. And I see DJ Premier has now also formed a rap supergroup. And I just it, it kind of popped into my mind last night. I was thinking, We've, we haven't really had any super groups in the hip hop space, let alone even bands in the rocks, rock industry, because again, we've just spoken about this financially, it didn't necessarily make sense, right? Now, does this new way of consuming music actually provide an effective platform for these groups to exist? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I can't even remember the last, you know, kind of, I was listening to actually one of the, the Spotify rap things that, that turned up was a lot of my, from a genre perspective, I, I listened to a lot of 80s yeah. uh, this year. And one of the things that I spent a lot of time listening to, um, and you know, maybe it's because I have the, the book is the Prince book. Yeah. Um, my wife and I were talking a lot about, you know, people like, um, uh, what's her name? Sheila E. And yeah. some of the other kind of groups around that, right? Because you, you used to see these affiliates, right? So Prince had, you know, a number of offshoots 
of different kind of bands like Morris Day and the Time, Sheila E and others who were kind of affiliated with him. And then they would play part of his band um, as well. And even before that or, or around that time, you also had artists like uh, the Traveling Wilburys, who were a group that had like you know, kind of Dylan and Tom Petty and had, you know, George Harrison and others kind of playing together. Um, and that was really kind of unheard of. And you are seeing more and more of those. I mean, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, you know, even before that had their own kind of individual careers and also had kind of joint careers. So I think it's just now getting to the point where hip hop had enough kind of maturity from an artist's perspective. The artists had their own kind of time to shine. And now that they're, you know, not to offend Snoop or Ice Cube or any of those artists, but they are slightly older. Oh, for sure. Right. And they've got their established audiences and they can bring those audiences together and they can create new music. And it can be kind of like a very different experience. Right. I mean, Primo was kind of known for his work with the East Coast kind of like hip hop heads. Right. And for him to do something with Snoop, with Cube, you know, that's very or with others. Right. Would be unheard of in the 90s. Right. But it's kind of seen as totally acceptable. Yeah. um, Right. And I think that's what, what we're seeing. I mean, in the same way that Snoop Dogg does ads for Just Eat in Europe, right? Because these are the things that older artists are able to do when they care less about their brand, really. And they're well, caring more about kind of leveraging their, their audience and their catalog. I think. Yeah. yeah, you're right. He, he does a lot of features. He did a, didn't he do a feature as one of our colleagues? God, he did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one one of our colleagues is, and we won't say her name because I think we haven't, there's no GDPR on this, but yeah, Yeah. she, she had a prior life as maybe a current life, even as an artist and Snoop did do a a guest on, on one of her tracks. And, you know, I do think that, you know, some of these artists um, and, and, you know, we're seeing that with cameo as well, right? Like a lot of these artists will look at, you know, however to connect with their audiences, but also to, to make some spare cash, yeah, front as well. I don't know if you saw the the Smokey Robinson um, cameo where uh, he, he mispronounces Hanukkah, and that got quite viral uh, as well. Yeah, and so you're seeing these artists who don't want to make new music or don't want to tour or you know don't want to keep doing their own old stuff. Yeah, you know, trying to kind of monetize their 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 I guess their brand. Uh, in new ways. And I don't, th- I think that's a trend if we, if we maybe kind of shift the conversation to what trends will continue, yeah. right, for the future. I definitely think that's something we're going to see is artists are going to take more risks and find new ways to monetize their brand, because I think we're going to continue to see them struggling from, uh, you know, kind of a revenue perspective, at least when it comes to live shows. I don't think we see live shows coming back until at least the winter of 2021. And I think even that's ambitious. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if you asked me this a month ago, I would have said, yeah, June sounds realistic. No, not a chance right now. I mean, they've extended the furlough scheme in the UK to April. Second waves are popping up everywhere. We're about to potentially go into a tier four, which is basically like the national lockdown of March. The US has got the highest infection rate ever than ever. <laughs> and China's yeah. sailing. No, I'm joking. Um, you know, I think the, the other thing on that is the mental issue, yeah. right? The mental health issue of actually being in an audience again, yeah. right? Because yeah, I think yeah. there's one thing to say about kind of, you know, the, the amount of COVID cases, the amount of infections, the spread on those infections, keeping the R numbers down. Then there's the, the next piece that kind of comes to a solution around vaccinations and having enough vaccinations to get to herd immunity. And then the third piece is really kind of how comfortable are people again, kind of being in those smaller spaces, 
kind of packed with people. And, you know, it'll go from like public transport and whatever else, you know, will we see kind of more people staying at home, right? I do think the work from home culture will be something that becomes a lot more acceptable post COVID, but it will take some time for people to feel comfortable to being in live environments with, with, you know, thousands of people they don't know. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I mean, even just trying to walk down the road and the people everywhere, or even the supermarket, it's not nice. Yeah, uh, just that that mental kind of issue, right? And that roadblock exactly. we have as individuals. Exactly. When that gets lifted, like that that fog of being in a room with so many people again, I think we're at least a year away from feeling comfortable, at least as individuals. I'd agree with you there. I definitely agree with you there. And uh, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, you know, I think everybody's a bit disappointed, particularly as we come up to Christmas period um i mean hey at least we've got music that's important but it's actually funny because you talk about content um music yes we have more albums and and i think moving into 2021 we have an epic q1 potential well, potential q1 kendrick lamar dr dre drake at least in the hip-hop scene i mean there's a massive artist massive um then again that could be delayed further though because of covid but Comparing it, for example, to the film industry, I mean, there was a time when Netflix was just dropping content like there was no tomorrow. As of recently, Netflix has been a complete bore. I mean, if it weren't for HBO Max saving the, the, the festive season, I don't know what would. Um, but whereas the music industry continues to actually march on. And I think it's interesting because we went through it almost the polar opposite at one point when the music industry was releasing almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it would get to New Music Friday and I, we probably didn't even record because we were like, well, there's nothing to really talk about here. No, same old, same old. Um, and, and that's not the case anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the music industry is definitely learned. I think we will see a rebound of other media as well. This week, even Local Globe announced an investment uh, with Union Square Ventures in a company called Meet Cute, which is doing shorter kind of content from a media perspective. And I do think we'll see more artists dropping music. I think that there were some, and I think there was some stuff that was shelved, right? Because it wasn't finished or the production was close, but then they had to shut down production. Uh, and stuff. And that kind of was a big hit to a lot of that. But we did see some new media come out. And I think we did see some new music come out towards the end of this year, uh, especially as people understood they probably weren't going to tour for some time and they didn't want to keep that music on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that will happen in the future. I think what we'll see is artists releasing and then artists doing more of these virtual tours or, you know, kind of getting paid gigs and embedded into platforms like your your Fortnites and your Roblox or others, you know, leveraging the Amazon platform. I think Netflix as well. Um, you know, I'd be keen to kind of see Spotify and Netflix doing something together, right? In order to give the artists another kind of channel for revenue, right? Like if you saw uh, Mulan, for example, with Disney that got shelved and didn't get released in cinemas, they were able at least to kind of charge people a one-off yeah. in order to get advanced uh, access. And yeah. I wonder if we'll see some of that from a music performance perspective with the innovation on creating new revenue streams for artists that way in 2021. But I'm glad you mentioned the mental health side because, I mean, that's also a massive thing because, I mean, we've even seen it from our own work. Sometimes you just struggle to get content out there yeah, despite totally. the best intentions and the efforts, you know. And, and as an artist, if you're not, yeah, sure, I sound very philosophical here, but if you're not motivated with what you're doing, you don't believe in the project, it's, it's very hard for you to get that out. And we've seen yes. so many artists, I never really understood it before, who, you know, Jay-Z is working on this, or so-and-so is working on that, and, and you never see the light of day. Kid Cudi's a good example. He released Man of the Moon 3 now. I think it's been, what, almost 10 oh, years yeah. since the last one. Yeah. He's gone through a lot of depression, etc. Um, and it's just about having the kind of willpower to, to actually do these things. 
And well, I think, yeah. It's also like understanding the return for that and understanding the audience appetite, because yeah. I do think, you know, artists were kind of holding off and saying, okay, we're going to see, you know, the return of the live event. And then they realized that they weren't. And now there's some adjusting to yeah. what kind of the future looks like, right? And some of that is through things like, you know, whether it's the Grammy Awards or the American Music Awards or the MTV Awards where, you know, they've had to go to a virtual experience. Now it becomes a lot more comfortable, right? We also saw things like Twitch, right? And artists kind of going on to Twitch for some periods of time. We also saw Versus kind yeah. of come up where artists were. So I think all of these things getting primed for artists to feel more comfortable with what that looks like means we'll see more of that in 2021. Personally, yeah. I think it's my view. Yeah, talking of verses, I see the, the the game and 50 Cent might do versus battle. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, and I think like it's really interesting to see even, you know, the viral video stuff, um, you know, Dave Grohl doing a drum battle with a nine-year-old in Britain or whatever else, right? Like, I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of like viral fan interactions, whether it's, you know, at one end, you've got Cameo where it's one-to-one -one and people are paying for some of that through to kind of leveraging content, recording it for someone and then seeing it kind of spread on that front to the other extreme of doing something on Twitch. or And I think Amazon, to be honest, is a really interesting player in that, right? I mean, we saw it with them buying Love Film almost a decade ago and turning that into Amazon Prime Video, right? I think we're seeing the same kind of thing that they've leveraged through Twitch and their partnership and their acquisition there. I think they're able to kind of learn a lot more and have a lot more data um, around that. So I think, you know, it's in Spotify and Netflix's best interests to really kind of do something for the, the music industry. Otherwise, I think somebody's going to leapfrog them from a content perspective. Yeah, I agree. maybe that'll be Apple Music, who knows, but they, they, they don't know what they, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but they don't really know what they're doing right now. It seems a bit dead. No, it seems like their their focus has been more on the platform yeah. of it, and maybe even with the, the Beats acquisition and the radio side of things. The 500 palm headphones. God, yeah. I've seen that though. So that's actually an interesting point to talk about. So they believe that will mimic the best concert experience kind of ever. Now, yeah, with live music being kind of well, not happening, who knows? But still, 550 is insane. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a good point, right? Because like the movie industry, you know, the home experience of watching something on a big screen, you turn your lights down a little bit, yeah, right? Like it's not a terrible experience comparatively. Like, yes, everybody will miss the cinema, but if you're going to compare apples to apples, you know, that experience of watching a movie can be replicated to some extent where you don't feel as much, right? Versus a, a concert experience. And I think maybe the audio quality of it, you know, with kind of investments, whether it is kind of the, the Apple Buds Max or whatever they're calling them through to others really investing in what the audio experience looks like. I mean, it's something that, you know, our friends at Universal were trying to do, you know, again, kind of over a decade ago, but I wonder if the time is right. And if the circumstances mean that actually, you know, who wants to listen, you know, no matter how good a quality your Sonos bar might be or whatever, right? There's an order of magnitude difference on how good a music experience is live versus doing something virtually or digitally. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I, I, I'm an audiophile. I love, I mean, these Beats studios, I mean, they're not exactly the most hectic headphones. I mean, this, the, the, the sound quality is incredible. And I do agree. I used to watch the, the fine ones, Ocadre, and talk about his sound system stuff. I mean, it makes a huge difference in how you digest or interpret music. Um, but 550 pounds price tag, I mean, like people may be taking out a longer loan. Well, they can't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't know. We might start seeing some of our portfolio companies' data come through. 
purchases it, like purchases to Apple, Air, AirPod Max or whatever it is. It's like what? <laughs> Yeah. No, but it'll be interesting. I mean, I do think, you know, people did scoff and I do think like you'll see multiple versions in the future coming out with lower price points. But if the audio impact is really that much more significant, then I do think it's a trend we'll continue to see in next year and in the future. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Well, I guess that does it for, for 2020. What a year it's been. Well, Dario, I'm looking forward to recording more with you next year. Hopefully. Hopefully. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. No, hopefully in a studio, hopefully in a studio, but it's been great. I mean, you definitely have been pushing us to keep recording and keep on pressing. So uh, for our listeners out there, you definitely have Dario to thank for keeping <laughs> us kind of pressing and, and at least kind of releasing a few uh, podcast episodes this year. Hey, we're trying, we're trying, you know, as we kind of mentioned, it's not always so easy in this climate, despite everyone's best intentions. Well, yeah. Thanks everyone for, for keeping with us and listening and, and positive feedback that we've been getting uh, anecdotally and on digital channels. Keep on uh, messaging us, emailing us, chatting to us. You can find us on at MDL SKL underscore music. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. Dario, where can the good listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> Dude, this kills me every time. <laughs> on, at, on at Dario underscore called Devet with a W. <laughs> there you go. And we will, we will see you guys in tour. Well, hopefully you'll hear from us in 2021. Cool, man. All right. Well, Farhan, you have a good Christmas and stay safe and try to stay Corona free. You too, buddy. See you on the other side. Ciao. Ciao. Bye.